Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Derek. What's up, Derek? How's it going, man? It's going great. Fantastic. Couldn't be better. I heard that. Hey, before we get into it, a little public service announcement from your friendly Retro Time co-host. Um, do us a solid. Like us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell a friend. Post in your Slack channel at work. Tell your coworkers how amazing and insightful the Retro Time podcast is and how much it's helping you at work. Uh, I bet it is. What do you think, Derek? Yeah. you think we're helping anybody? I bet like at least one person. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Make sure you tell them it's changing your life. It always Changing helps. your life. For yeah. the better. For, for the, the better, better. Yeah. 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 For the better. Not the worst, obviously. Yeah, sure. Uh, so tell a friend. Uh, we would really appreciate that. Leave us a five-star review. Derek will write you a song. Check us out on RetroTimePodcast.com. Get yourself a sweet sticker. Put it on your laptop. Get two. One for your work laptop. One for your personal laptop. Hopefully, you've got a personal laptop. You shouldn't be doing any personal stuff on your work laptop, Derek. Uh, so get two. I've heard. Actually, get four. Get four. Get one for yeah. your buddy uh, and then one for another buddy. And, and a couple two iPads, too. Yeah, or tablets of your choice. All right. So now that that's out of the way, I got a weird little thing. I got a story, Derek. A super oh. random thing that is just the weirdest thing that's happened to me in a very long time. The other day, or last episode, right, uh, we talked about Sheltzilla, and we talked about the Always Humid in New Orleans t-shirt, and we mm. talked about Dirty Coast. And dude, I'm not kidding. Like literally an hour after I pushed publish, I got a, a, a message from Blake Haney, who owns Dirty Coast. They want to sell the Always Humid shirt. So they were talking about doing like a licensing deal. So weird, dude. I, I, I mean, I haven't talked to Blake since we've moved up here, and that's been a, a long time, probably long than like a year and a half maybe. It, it's just the weirdest thing, dude. Like, I don't know what you believe, but the, the, the universe works in strange ways. It's so weird. I just like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about that. Well, obviously, he's a fan of the pod. No, he's not. That's the thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, did you listen to the podcast? And he was like, no, what podcast? And I was like, oh, of course he doesn't listen. Who, who listens to the show? <laughs> right. Um, but uh, no, that's uh, the weird thing. He didn't listen to the show, man. Great. Isn't that strange? It's so weird. It's wonderful. So maybe like in a month, you can get those shirts on uh, DirtyCoast.com. But anyway, um, crazy stuff, man. The universe is weird. Um, all right. So, man, you did an awesome little episode last time. I really like this idea. After hours, we're trying that new stuff. And you did. You read a blog post mm-hmm. by a woman named Artie Karaj from Industrial Logic. And I loved that blog post, Eric. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks for I listening. Loved it for sure, man. I loved it <laughs> so much, in fact, that I just wanted to gush on it today. Oh, all right. <laughs> I can get down with that. So today, uh, let's talk about, uh, let's just talk about it. Maybe there's some interesting takeaways for, that we can apply back to enterprise uh, software and stuff like that. Um, yeah, sure. But anyway, yeah, so um, I really liked it, man. I appreciate that. I really liked that episode a lot. Artie, if you're listening, thank you for posting it. It was a great uh, great blog post, very insightful. Absolutely. And if uh, before you stop, if you haven't yet, stop now. Go back, listen to the last episode, and uh, you don't have to read it. You can just listen to Derek passionately uh, read <laughs> the, uh, the blog post from the heart. So go back, stop right now. Go back, listen to the last episode, then come back right here, and uh, you know pick back up where you left off, uh, and you can join in on the conversation uh, by yourself, I guess, uh, or or Twitter or LinkedIn. So Derek, yeah, bro. Who's Artie? You know anything about Artie? I don't know much about Artie. I got involved with Industrial Logic, actually, because they were consultants on a project that I had worked on in the past. 
They came in. Oh, okay. They actually came in and they gave a sort of Trojan horse presentation. It was really interesting. Oh, geez, their, okay. their presentation was it was called Lean Requirements Gathering because they knew that big companies wanted to learn about requirements gathering. And then they also knew that big companies like to learn about lean and they didn't talk about lean requirements gathering at all. They oh, talked about psych. how to, they, well, they, they did in a way, but they also talked about how that isn't the way to approach projects, mm. you know, and a lot of it was, you know, some of the things, some of the themes that already touched on in her, um, in her blog post. Wait, so I don't know. Yeah. Let's just kick it off, man. Um, I don't know. What did you get out of this? I got out of it a couple things. First was words make a lot of difference to people mm-hmm. who are learning a new concept. Yep. If something sounds like it could be misconstrued, like minimum viable product, and it could have a lot of different re- meanings behind it, um, the chance of it being misconstrued and implemented the wrong way is so yep. high, as she indicated in her uh, blog post. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this. I think what we've done like two, three episodes about MVP. Yeah. Um, and it's true. I mean, when people say MVP, uh, all that stuff that she listed out in the very beginning, look, she, it was funny because she actually said, I've talked to five people, got seven answers. <laughs> so that yeah. means one or two of those people had multiple answers. Um, so, you know, um, it, the phase one project, something low quality uh, in the in scope requirement, what we have enough money for. What we need to play, uh, what we need in place by X date, uh, you know, the word we use with stakeholders to look like we're doing agile, um, MMF. I'm not really sure what that is. I don't either. Uh, which is probably an inside joke. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, that's exactly the problem, right? Minimum. Everybody sees minimum and nobody sees viable. And they always just tend to build the minimum, which is exactly what, you know, phase one, something low quality, um, you know, what the minimum we have to have in place by X date, what we have enough money for, what's in scope, you know. Um, and the brilliant thing about this is if you can't beat them, uh, rebrand, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> if you can't convince people that MVP is not minimum, uh, rebrand and come up with something else, call it something different, um, which is why I really like the idea of differentiating the learning release versus the earning release plus it rhymes and it sounds fun to say um but learning versus earning you know i really like that idea just let's call it something different if people are going to fight us on mvp let's just call it something else yeah it separated out the intent of the kind of thing you're doing mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. kind of release you're doing i like that a lot too right and it clearly you know the thing i like the most about this is that's really what an mvp we've talked about before it's experiment right what's the point of an experiment to learn right to test something and um, that's exactly what she's calling it, the learning release. It's an experiment. We're going to try some stuff. We're going to see what works. We're going to see what doesn't. And then from there, we'll make some some uh, some changes and we'll release the, the earning release. And we're going to refine what we learned in the previous release. Um, and I, I really like that a lot. I thought that was brilliant. I love the idea of you being able to answer questions mm-hmm. uh, as a part of your initial release of a product. That the yeah. whole goal is just, we're not sure yet. Because we do this thing in business, in large companies, where we had this incredible confidence to do something. And I think that that a lot of it stems from leadership forcing us to give them dates and estimates and commitments. So we have to seem confident. Maybe that's how we got to the position we're in. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we're not. 
We're not at all. And it's admitting the fact that our confidence level is so low at the beginning and working slowly toward it by getting actual people who use the software to tell us what's wrong. Yeah, right. Well, the idea, the questions you're asking, um, uh, the questions that you're referring to, I love that too, is it's part of a step, right? A retro after you release, this is something, an official meeting maybe that you have with your team. And you ask these four questions that she lays out. Should we stop working in this direction and try another approach, right? Mm -hmm. Is what we did even worth continuing at all? Is it a sunk cost? Should we stop this idea entirely and go back to the drawing board? Right. Should we continue with the initial idea without changes because it was great? Yeah. Or should we continue with the initial idea but bring in some changes? So it was kind of there but not quite, right? This is right. like an, uh, brilliant. Like is this clearly says like at the end of this release, you know, maybe two months after this release, we need to go and validate and then we should be able to answer one of these four questions um, or, or all four of these questions. And then go from there. And then from that's when you, you know, come back with the earning release and, and you know, try it that way. Yeah, because we don't want to say we're going to make money if we're not, if our confidence isn't high that the thing we're building is going to have an impact on the market. Why would we, why would we, why would we feign confidence in something that we're trying to actually turn into profit? It, it doesn't make sense. Why not safely learn before you go and do that? And in, in other industries, they do this. Mock-ups, trials, right. you know. Um, I'm really happy that there wasn't a, uh, uh, this is going to be political, I'm not going into it. Uh, I was going to talk about the vaccine and it not being an MVP. Uh, mm -hmm. If they'd have cut corners to, to release it. Um, and, you know, we, we could have all said, we're all breaking out in hives, please stop, you know. <laughs> but mm -hmm. they didn't do that. They actually... Uh, they tested. They got feedback, you know? Right, right, So right. it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned, like, other industries. I mean, whenever Coke releases a product, they, they do a trial, right? They release in small quantities in certain areas. They have their marketers come out and do interviews with people and focus groups. And, and you know, things like, uh, you know, Coca-Cola or whatever other big company you could think of that, that does some type of product like that, they don't just make a whole bunch of, you know, a new product and hope it sells. They they should know that it's going to sell, um, you know, before they ever release anything based on all the research they did. And, and to me, that's sort of a learning release, right? And then the earning release would be the big, the big you know, cross-national uh, national release of the, the new product or something. Exactly. Based on vanilla the, Coke, based baby. The stuff they learned. Yeah, vanilla Coke. And then, you know, they could try the coffee Coke, mm. which uh, I think failed. I think that's done. Because it was gross. Uh, are they still doing that? Coffee and Coke? I don't know. No, it's gross. Strange. No me gusta, Derek. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love this idea, the, the idea of the earning release and the learning release. Um, one of the things that I, I really liked about this, though, um, is that she talks about, you know, we're removing the emotions from the results, mm -hmm. right? So when you treat it like an experiment, it's not, you know, I really like blue and I'm really upset that people didn't choose blue. It's, you know, our, we, we want to learn how do people think about blue. Right. And then from there we say, was it the right shade of blue? <laughs> do we need to go with red? Um, you know, was do we need to tweak it a little bit? Maybe we change the color, add a little green in there, get kind of like an ocean teal kind of color. Um, and the, if you if you approach it that way, um, we don't our, our emotions aren't involved anymore. And it's it becomes an experiment um, as opposed to going all in. You know, I think a lot of times. 
people get so invested in this thing that they just keep going and going and going, even though all the work they did at that point is a sunk cost. You know, it's kind of like the sunk cost fallacy that you hear a lot about in business and economics. Because we spent all this time and effort and blood and sweat and tears, we feel like we can't get rid of it. We can't trash it. Yeah. Right? Because it's just how much effort's all going to go to waste. But if you treat it as an experiment going into it, it takes that emotion away. Yeah. Which I think is 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 really critical, and I love that she she talks about that specifically. I like that call out. And in smaller projects, products, whatever, um, the emotion could be tied to the product success, but it could also be fear. Mm-hmm. Fear oh, that's of a good point. Fear of your manager not not being necessarily super clear about the goal, but also not telling you the plan and and the actual mm. uh, value that you're going to get. You just just go and code. And if you don't meet by this date, you know, there's going to be consequences and yeah. you might have to work over Christmas. And like, wait a minute, why though? I don't understand. I have an analogy that I just came up with while we were talking. Would you like me to yeah, share yeah. it with oh, you? Derek, of course, always. Check this out, dude. So just came up with this. Imagine releasing a product was like an army and the, let's say the, the product leader is the general. Okay. General's out in front on his horse or her horse Mm -hmm. um, or her pony, whatever, whoever you, whatever you ride in it. I've never been in a war like this, but um, they're (laughs) out and we're all behind them. But here's the situation. There's two ways I've seen this happen. The army has poor eyesight generally to start out with. So they all need glasses. The general is holding a big bag of glasses. So they're looking out in the, in the, in the, distance and they're trying to see the enemy but it's very vague and and confusing and it's blurry and they see a guy on top of a building but it could be a civilian so they don't want to shoot and the general sometimes turns around explains the scene there's a guy on top of a building kind of looks like a civilian don't shoot him there's a guy over here there's people over here there's people over here you might see a green blob but don't worry about it instead of simply giving them the glasses so that they can all rush in together and get and actually be a part of this release. When the army gets long enough, they're large enough behind the general, I think they sometimes feel like it's too much work to give everybody glasses. We'll just give it to a few people in the front mm-hmm. and let them then yeah, tell the, people, the people in the back the what everything is. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. that's anyway, good. army's Derek and analogy. Love your analogies, Derek. Love your analogies, here for Derek. You. Um, yeah, so that's actually interesting because uh, the other part that I really liked about this was yes, how do you re- how do how do we recover if our learning release teaches us something different we didn't expect? Mm. So that's the fear you're talking yeah. about, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, celebrate, mm. celebrate. You know the idea of, like fail, fail fast, fail forward. I mean, it's uh, you know putting failure in there is kind of silly, but celebrate the fact that you learned something, right? Your team is now smarter. Um, because you have these new opportunities or, you know, if you need to change direction, she says, maybe you need to just change the little things here and there. Um, but you know, you're, you're not going by the seat of the pants. You're going with data and that's a cause to celebrate. Now you have more information than you did before. Um, so I like that, you know, that's how you take that fear and turn it into something like maybe anticipation or something like that. But that's a good point. Um, you know, emotions and stuff, it, it could be the fear. Fear is also yeah. a very strong emotion when it comes to stuff like this. You know, I would argue, too, that if you're on a team that doesn't feel like you can celebrate when 
the plan changes, then you may not be a team. You may be a, a group of individuals with vague notions of success for use yourself personally, because it's likely you're living in fear of what the big boss says um, yep. and what the what the original commitments were. And original commitments are the original sin of this kind of approach. Doesn't that isn't that kind mm. of what she's saying? I think so. Interesting. I think it is. Yeah, because that's the thing. You know, it doesn't matter if you if you're changing your mind. Celebrate that you're changing because you learned something that you didn't know before. Yeah, you got to be okay with that. But that's the point of a learning release, right? Yeah, it's in the name. We're learning something. We're testing something. We're experimenting. We're seeing what works and what doesn't, so that we know when it comes to that next release, which is the earning release. Um, not only does it rhyme with learning, mm. but we're going to focus on making that one thing better based on the data that we discovered. And one thing that she does say, and I'm, I I really like that she pointed this out because this is something I was kind of thinking when I thought of this, is um, we need to be careful not to bombard customers with a lot of learning releases simultaneously, right? Yeah. So if we've got, you know, maybe something we aren't sure is good and we give that to a customer and it turns out to not be good, we can't do that again right after that and say, you know, maybe a little something different, like a different part, a different feature. Right. Maybe we were focusing on feature A, feature B. We can't release a learning release for feature B. We need to do the learning release for feature A, refine feature A, make it better. Then do a feature B learning release, refine feature B and make it better with the earning release. So it's not let's test this, test this, test this. And then at the end of the day, the customer's like, God, you guys suck. This app sucks. Right. (laughs) Right? Let's do that one little thing, that quirky little thing. Let's get it right. Let's fix it. Let's find the other quirky thing. Let's see if that works. Let's fix it. And, and so on. So not to be uh, releasing, you know, test after test after test after test, because if, if you keep, uh, you know, doing that, your customers are probably going to end up uh, splitting, going somewhere else. Yeah, they're going to feel like lab rats. Yep, exactly. You know, not part of the team, because essentially your customers are part of your team. If they're giving you feedback on how to make it better, you know. So the interesting thing here, though, is how to apply this to enterprise software. Yeah. So, you know, you and I, we both work in enterprise we're not as nimble as we want to be sometimes. Um, how could we take this and apply it in a more structured environment with big budgets and big releases and things like that? What do you think? Great question, Jeremy. So the uh, not an easy answer, of course. There are a lot of Absolutely. moving parts when you have an enterprise. A lot of times we think of learning, we think of MVPs as something that you know happens in small companies. They try to apply it to a big company and all of the weight of the bureaucracy, of the process, of the age of the company, the interwoven pieces, all that stuff brings down the speed at which you're able to learn. And I've noticed that the the feeling of the feeling of added trust when you learn something needs to be something that's shared and celebrated, as opposed to mm. the feeling of uh, the feeling of being marginalized or embarrassed. This embarrassment. It's like a lot of times it's not fear. It's mm-hmm. embarrassment that we said we were going to do X, Y, Z. We said that it could get done by this date. We did it. We learned a ton in the process. But instead of sharing that information, we felt embarrassed and had to go into meetings and explain why things were late not what we learned. 
And that is the good... that is how this could be applied into a corporate setting, to yeah. celebrate the learning of anything you do initially, not e not yeah. releases, not anything. How, what did we learn today? That's fantastic. Great job. What do you mean, great job? It's like we didn't know that before. Now you figured it out. You know. Right. You know, one of the things that I was thinking, um, you take the the learning release could could be completely separate from that code base from the the full feature set you're building it could be you know treat learning release as a prototype a paper prototype so uh, you know yeah. uh, just a image mock-up just like an envision mock-up or action mock-up or something like that um to to just get that in front of somebody in front of a user or an external customer or even an internal user um you know we're often the challenge i see is that often in big companies the 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 external uh, customers tend to have gatekeepers that try to block you from getting to them, right? right? We've got we've got thousands of people that want to talk to them. We can't have everybody talk to them at once, so they they try to you know treat themselves as like a bouncer, if you will. Yeah. Um, and if you could work with that team, you know, we're trying to understand. We're learning. This is a not maybe we find a small subset of our users that we release this to. I think the difference is with with what Artie's talking about. Perhaps is that learning release is a full release. Right? Yeah. It's a, something we release to everybody. But what if you took that learning release and you made it a smaller subset of group? Maybe it's a beta test, right? Maybe if, if your team is set up to have flags, feature flags, perhaps you could turn certain things off for certain users and not release everything to everybody all at once. Um, or again, it could be a prototype. It could just be something. It could be a, a, it could be a focus group. Um, it could be something like that. It's just validation, I think, is really the, the thing that you're trying to get across. Um, but I think at the end of the day, though, um, the, the real big takeaway is just trying to stop saying MVP because at, at enterprise level, I think that's where a lot of this confusion comes in. You've got all these people. A lot of them aren't software uh, people by trade. Maybe they fell into it because they, you know, they worked on the shop floor for a long time. And so they, got, they came on as a product owner because they, they know how to do that process really well. But they don't know anything about software. Um, you know, it could be that uh, just changing the name. Or trying to encourage people to think about it differently could just be the first step. I don't know. It's yeah. a challenge. It's definitely something to think about. I don't know if I have an answer. Yeah, it's really challenging because you could you could argue that a learning release in a corporate setting could end up like this, where they set goals instead of mm -hmm. to reach some milestone of what to develop, set goals of what you're going to learn by a specific date. Oh yeah. And because that's the first thing I would think they would do is say like, okay, well if we're going to do a learning release, then we have to have a timeline. What? Why? Why? What if it takes a lot longer to learn these things? What if we change as we go, reach them and set a milestone for how much can we learn in this time frame and not right. force right. ourselves? I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Say, you know, a month from now, we want to we want to learn as much as we can. We want to try to learn these things. We aren't sure if we're going to get there. Um, but, you know, that's interesting because that's we talked about fear. We talked about committing to a date. We talked about you know, a lot of times it's how much value do you think you'll return to the company if you were to do this thing yeah right how much benefit will the company see if you release this feature set the benefit doesn't have to be money what if the benefit is is knowledge what if the benefit is our data points um so that could be an interesting way to approach it um you know that said it, it takes a certain executive in charge to to go with this <laughs> i think is maybe the challenge 
um, that executive leadership team who's at the end of the day allocating the million dollars yeah. that you would need. Um, but then again, if you if you treat the learning release as as a smaller prototype, maybe you don't need a million dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe you just need one person for a month. Uh, that might be a lot easier to get uh, than to say we need uh, you know a million dollars for something. So. Different ways to look at it. I guess every org is different. Every organization is probably going to have different uh, different nuances and things that, that could change how you would approach this, I guess. You'd appreciate this, Jeremy. I was in a meeting today with my company, and uh, somebody brought up, maybe we need to add more people to this problem. And I didn't tell them, oh, it's a, you know, you don't want to do the million man month problem where you add features, you add people, and it's too late. I told them something you taught me, taught me to think about. Maybe a smaller set of people is how we handle this problem. Because the problem is Mm. people are trying to communicate with each other. We're losing things in the process. Too Um, many cooks. Too many cooks, too many people involved. Uh, And maybe if we had fewer people, we'd be able to focus better. So um, I appreciate you teaching me that. Um, how'd that, how'd, how'd that go? I was ignored. <laughs> I was completely taken? ignored and they moved on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you expect? Anyway, um, Sorry, anyway it's all good. Um, yeah. I know they love me deep in their hearts. So yeah, that's good. I had another, another thought about this real quick about uh, what happens if you do the earning release too fast. Okay. Because this happens, you'll 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 yep. jump in, especially in corporate settings when there are timelines and commitments and dates and whatever. You reach, you you, you meet the goal. You're pushing, pushing. You're descoping as you go because you you know that the originally six months ago the 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 CIO or the or the CTO or whoever gave you these requirements, and you never you never really checked back in to see if anything changed. You just kept pushing and pushing and pushing because you didn't want to make a mad, and you get there. And the software's crap. It does half the things the users need, but you release it. So what do you do then? What do you do with the feedback? I would argue that it becomes a selective activity. You start being very selective about the feedback you take. You only take it from people who you know is going to give you the feedback that's going to please you, make you feel less anxious, and make your boss not want to fire you. (laughs) Because that's really what's important at the end. It really is. (laughs) I love that idea. Anyway, I just thought about that's selective awesome. no, feedback as this thing that's a result. So I wanted to share that with you. I like it. No, that's good. I think that's important. I mean, I think that's part of it too. When you when you get selective feedback, I wonder, and maybe a psychologist could have a, a, a different opinion here, but I wonder if uh, the more information you get, the easier it is to select the feedback you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you, if you can make the learning releases smaller – you can focus on one or two things as opposed to a hundred things. Dude, dude. So I think in big corporations, one of the things I'm noticing uh, in different pockets of the organization is that there have so many priorities at one time that aren't necessarily even force ranked. They're just, everything's everything's gotta get done. I don't know why you're even asking. What's the priority? Everything, everything's high. Yeah, like what's the priority that's high? What's the priority that's high? (laughs) Everything's high priority. Yeah, well, that's, you know, kind of lean, right? Lean, agile, limiting the number of things in progress. You limit your whip, right? Yeah, you got to whip it. Um, same same kind of thing. Limit your whip, baby. Mm-hmm. Less whip. Less whip, not whip. more whip. Yeah, you got to whip it less. Whip. You need less whip. Yeah. Whip it less, right? I hear you, bro. Make those whips count. You're right. Um, but yeah, so I think that's the thing, you know? And, and so if that, that case, it's hard to have selective feedback if you find that this one thing tested really poorly. 
You know, it could be that like you have a million things on the page. It could be a million reasons why that one thing tested poorly. But if if you only change one or two things at a time and keep the controls in place as you would in an experiment, it makes it much easier to identify the things that are breaking or the things that are not working well. I dig it. So I don't know if that has anything to do with what we were just talking about with selective uh, feedback and, and selecting the feedback you want to hear. But um, maybe just try to limit the amount of feedback we get at once. Keeping the keeping the learning releases small. You can't pay attention to 400 things, especially in an organization that uh, isn't built to be structured that way. You know, yeah. Um, if you don't have 400 people managing autonomously those 400 things, and and with a clear clear vision as to how it's valuable for the company, and a clear way to communicate with everybody else that's doing something dependent on what they're doing, you're gonna just have a big old mess for years. You know, mm-hmm. as you try to as you try to unwind all that, and and the unfortunate thing is you created that problem by by right. by allowing yourself to focus on too many things at once. Yeah, you know the other thing that um, maybe is something to think about here, but the tools that you might use to help you with the learning releases, um, there are interesting tools. We've been looking at this for work. Tools like uh, Pendo, for instance. Pendo is a tool. You know, it's a service, and it's not cheap. But uh, it allows you to do interesting things like DOM manipulation. Oh, really? Right. So if anybody out there isn't familiar, DOM manipulation is essentially injecting HTML, words, shapes, divs, things like that onto the page via JavaScript, right? Mm. So what you can do, and and also delete things too. Delete things, change things, modify things. So with a tool like Pendo, a UX team or a, a product manager can actually create very easily based on segments, right, using your... Uh, Let's say you use Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics, you can create segments. Yeah. Right. Let's let me. Uh, everybody who is between the ages of uh, you know eighteen and and thirty, and everyone who's between the ages of thirty and forty, right? We could create two segments. We could with Pendo, you can actually change something on the page. So I could change the label to say this huh. for that group, and I could change the label to something else for the other group, Ooh. right? And so a product manager can actually do that using something like Pendo without having to go through the engineering team and test and, and get that put into a backlog. So it frees up the engineers to build new features. And then that product management team, hopefully in conjunction with the UX team, can maybe change the color. Maybe we change the height of the button. Maybe we change the, the font size or something like that. And we can run an A-B test. And to me, that could be something like that's in a learning release, Right, you're testing one small thing. What's what? How, uh, what what uh, what font size uh, do we use to get a better click-through rate yeah. on some thing, right? Or change the sign-up. We want to test sign-ups. What color should that button be? You know, um, what font, what size should the button text be? Those kinds of things we could do that with a tool like Pendo. Um, full disclosure: not getting any money from Pendo. Pendo, if you're listening, we're happy to have you as a sponsor. Um, but, uh, you know, something like that, it, it, a learning release might not necessarily be a full-blown release, I think. It's just really the learning thing, I think, is what I find interesting about this. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see what someone like Artie would have to say about that. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can get her on on a call sometime. Maybe we can interview her. We'll, we'll, uh, maybe that's a teaser. I don't know. Um, yeah. Unless unless we can't, and then just cut this out. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Then uh, we'll, we'll retroactively cut it out. Because <laughs> um, we don't want to be embarrassed, but maybe we'll learn That's something. Right. The um, That's right. The thing I want to say, though, if, if you're okay with uh, me summing this up. Sum it up, baby. Be irreverent with how you learn in general. Mm. It's a recommendation I have. 
You're going to think that you have to follow the steps in a book, all the checklists, all the things. Your interest, your passion with what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish will get you to where you need to go. Figure out any possible way that works for you to learn it. Whether it's, if you can't use a tool like Pendo to do all this stuff, create multiple sheets of paper, draw it out. If you don't have UX people, yeah. get creative. Go find somebody that has a, has on your team that has a knack for this stuff. Um, and yeah. just really use what you have, use what you, uh, use your imagination uh, when you're trying to learn in general. And in this uh, sense, yeah. it's, it's, it still applies because just like Jeremy said, there's so many different ways to approach this MVP or learning release concept doesn't need to be a piece of software even, you know? So, um, just, I love that Derek. Yeah. You know. I think, uh, that's something that, um, maybe in the enterprise world too, you have a lot of constraints and there's probably not very good opportunity to change those constraints, at least in the short term. Right. You can't hire more people. You, you know, it's hard to get sourcing to approve an application to use like Pendo. Maybe there's security and compliance concerns that you can't get something like that. So work with the tools that you have at your disposal and make the best of the tools that you have instead of complaining about the tools you have and not doing anything because you don't have the tools you want. Yeah. Um, work with the tools you need. That might be even like a lesson for life in general. Right on. <laughs> work with what you got. Don't worry about stuff you don't have. Worry about how to make it make the best out of what you do have. Yeah. You'll save a lot of Life money, lessons too. lessons from Retro Time. <laughs> also, too. Yeah, right also on. that. Oh, man. Right on. So that's good, man. I dig it. Yeah, so maybe we'll try to get Artie on. We'll see if she's interested. Um, I don't know why she wouldn't be. You know, obviously, anyway, everyone's coming to the show. We got Bob Martin, for God's sake. I know, sake, right? Derek. Just send her that link. <laughs> yeah, have you heard have of you Bob heard of, Have you heard of Uncle Bob? Old Uncle Bob. Yeah, have you heard of Uncle Bob? All right, uh, cool. So I love it, Derek. Thanks for finding this uh, blog post. This is awesome. Artie, if you're listening, thank you so much for uh, writing it. And uh, maybe we'll be in touch. Hopefully we'll get you on the show soon. If you like what you're hearing out there, uh, please like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, get yourself a song. Uh, and uh, I know we said we would have it. Brittany, it's coming. I promise. Oh, yeah. It's coming. Oh, yeah. It's coming, Brittany. Um, and uh, check us out, RetroTimePodcast.com. Get your stickers at RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and all that good stuff. And uh, that's it. That's all I've got. Until next time, we'll see you. Take it easy. Work with what you got. Don't worry about stuff you don't have. Worry about how to make it make the best out of what you do have. Life lessons from Retro Time.